morning, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our uh, Psalms of Ascents series, uh, which is taking us through the Psalms 120 all the way through 134. It's a set of 15 Psalms. And this morning, we're going to be in Psalms one, Psalm 130. Uh, but before we jump into it, I just let's take a, a moment and, uh, and pray. Would you, would you pray with me? Our Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you that, uh, that you've made it, that you've made it good, and that this day was made to glorify you and to speak of who you are and what you've done and what you're about and who we are in light of that. This day was meant to make you famous and to make you known. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we gather here to uh, worship you, to, to, uh, to hear the gospel, to have the gospel uh, transform us and inform our worship, I pray uh, that, that you would be made known, that we would know you, that we would, uh, and that we would purposely make ourselves known to you as you pursue us. I pray, Lord, that uh, as I speak, that it would be you speaking, it would be your words, uh, that you would say uh, what you'd have said to each person, that our hearts would hear what you'd have us hear. pray that your Holy Spirit would be working us. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, how many of you have ever taken a financial peace university course from Dave Ramsey? Anybody? Maybe a show of hands. I see one person. This isn't going to work out. Only one person has ever taken the course. That's not good. Plus me. So that's a couple. Uh, Or how many of you at least heard of it? Dave Ramsey? We know Dave Ramsey, right? Okay, good. That'll work. All right, you've heard of Dave Ramsey. If you know who Dave Ramsey is, he's got the radio show. He's on... I think he's on TV or at least on the internet with his video. You can watch his TV, sh- his, uh, his radio broadcast. Uh, but if you know who he is and you know what Dave Ramsey's about, you know that he's all about uh, digging your way out of debt and, and living a debt-free life, right? Staying debt-free, learning to save, learning to steward your money, maybe most of all giving like nobody else can give, right? Dave Ramsey's all about that. And his system has been massively successful. FPU, Financial Peace University, has led a lot of people to successfully dig their way out of debt, learn how to steward their money, learn how to save, learn how to be a giver. It's been very successful. Claire and I are one of the success stories. We went through it several years ago, uh, and it was a great help to us. We followed the system, and even with the very little money we had at the time, we were able to dig our way out of debt, and we've been able to stay that way. If you've been through the course before um, and you've had any success or if you know people who've had success, I've had success with it, um, the question is, why is it so successful? Why is it so good? Is it, did he come up with a system that's just like the silver bullet? It's the one that works? It's the only system for how to steward your money? Is it because his system is the only way? I don't think so because Claire and I tried several things and we tried different things with our money. We tried, uh, you know, learning from other people how to manage our money and it, they probably worked fine. It worked fine for a little bit. And the problem is really just that we weren't very disciplined, right? And eventually the, the, we would lack the discipline. We wouldn't be able to stick to the thing, stick to the budget, stick to the plan. We could never show discipline over the long haul and so eventually we would just lose hope, blame our situation on outside circumstances, and kind of resolve to just grin and bear it. This is the lot we've been given. 
eat, drink, and be merry, right? We're just spending, getting debt. But Dave Ramsey's system's not different. It's not actually that different than anybody else's system, is it? I mean, if you don't show discipline using financial peace and using that system, it won't work. You have to have some discipline to make it work. But what Dave Ramsey does is he gets kind of underneath the system when you go through Financial Peace University. He doesn't just present a system with the, you know, the envelopes. You got to keep all your cash in the envelopes and you got to carry like a bunch of envelopes around with you, which is weird. It's hard to do unless you have a purse, but I don't carry a purse. So, you know, that's, that's difficult. But that's not the, he gets kind of up under the envelope system. He gets up under all the systems that he spells out and he begins to question our assumptions and our beliefs about what money is for. That's what really goes on in the class. He begins to question our assumptions and our belief about what money is for. And he makes a case that the underlying problem is that you are serving money when money ought to be serving God, serving you, and serving others, right? And so he gets up under the system. Before you can get the system to work, before you can get to the discipline of the system, he questions those beliefs, and he begins to make you rethink your beliefs about how money works. Are you serving it, or is it serving you and Dave challenges the beliefs and he makes you believe that there just might be hope regardless of your situation or your age he makes he convinces you that there just might be hope because he you begin to get a different perspective on money and then he makes you feel it right now I've been through the course a few times I went through the course it helped us and then I've ended up substituting like lead it a couple times or whatever when we've done courses here. So I've watched the videos over and over and over again in the FPU course. And at one point in the videos, and if you've been through it, you're going to know this, at one point, Dave, he's got it all laid on the table, and then he starts to describe the lenders and the creditors and the salesmen of all kinds of goods and services, everybody who's out to get your money. He begins to describe them as like a cheetah on the prowl, right? Getting ready to jump on a gazelle. And you kind of see in the back, there's like a cheetah, and it's about to get the gazelle. And then all of a sudden, bam, cheetah goes, the gazelle goes, starts running with the intensity you run with when your life depends on it. And Dave just goes nuts, right? And he's just like, I can't do it because I'm just not as emotional and excitable as he is maybe. But he's just like, run, 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 run like your life depends on it. He's like, you have to run from the creditors and the loan, you know, and the people who are out to get your money. You run like your life depends on it. And when and you see this gazelle just taking off and just running for dear life, and he's like, you're the gazelle. You have to run like that because your life depends on it. And when that part of the movie is going, I'm watching like a budget movie, which is boring, and I'm about to cry. Right? Like I get that big lump in my throat, and I'm like, I'm not, I can't cry at this. This is not emotional for me. Right? But the tears are like welling up, and I'm like doing this so that they stay in my eyes and nobody can see. He makes you feel it. He makes you believe that there's some other hope, that maybe you've looked at something wrong, and that there might actually be hope. And then he makes you feel it. Yeah. Now, we've said many times throughout this series on the Psalms of Ascent that these songs are meant to engage the heart, right? They're meant to engage our hearts with the truth of who God is as a means for equipping us for this journey of discipleship because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart that the feet move. It's out of the heart that the hands do. 
And too often we look to show some self-discipline and we, we, we look to like get the right system, change our behavior, show some discipline, make a thing work. We say the right things, go to the right places, do the right work, but we never see the victory. We never actually see victory. Eventually it all fades. The discipline goes away and we throw in the towel. We don't get to the root of the thing. That's what I'm getting at. We don't get to the root of the thing. We don't get to the heart of the matter. So eventually our behavior slips. We say the wrong thing. We're caught in the wrong places, doing the wrong things. Again, and the true state of our heart is revealed in that, in that, in that moment. The cycle's pretty vicious. The, cycle, the cycle's vicious, right? It takes a toll on us. And soon, I think something else can creep in on us, and it does. In our, man, something else creeps on us, and it's toxic. We can become cynical. We become cynical. We can begin to believe that there's really no hope, that there's no hope for change in us, that there's no hope for change in our behavior. This is our lot. That's the way it is. We have no hope that others can change. We have no hope in our families. We have no hope for our city. We have no hope for our church. It's cynicism. And most won't own being a cynic. We don't want to call ourselves cynical. And if we did call ourselves cynical, we'd just make a joke of it and laugh it off, right? But I just want you to listen this morning. The heart of the cynic is like a poison. The heart of the cynic is poison. And it hardens the heart, and it becomes more and more on guard, right? The heart of a cynic is like a poison, and it hardens the heart as it becomes more and more on guard. Nothing's allowed in. No one's allowed too close. And the poison of cynicism, it spreads rapidly. The cynical heart can't hope. The cynical heart can't hope because it seems risky. And it can't stand to see others hope either. This is why it spreads. The cynical heart can't stand hope, and it can't stand to see others hope either. And so we cynics, I say we because I am one, will knock the hopeful down as fast as possible. And we can even make it under the guise of inclusion, right? Inclusiveness. Don't be like that. You can be a part of our thing. And so cynicism can begin to take hold of the heart of those who are hopeful because the cynic and the hopeless are poisonous. We have to be on guard. Cynicism is a deadly poison. And I'm kind of focusing on that this morning. I'm focusing in on the cynic a little bit because I know that cynicism plagues us. I know that it's in this room. I know that it's in this church. I know that it's in this city. Kind of a side note. People call Augusta, people who live here, they call it Disgusta. Stop. Like, don't do that, please. Right? G.K. Chesterton wrote in Orthodoxy, his book Orthodoxy, he said, men didn't love Rome because it was great. Rome was great because men loved her. That's just a side note. But let's stop the cynicism about where we live. Love Augusta. Love the place where God has placed you to be a blessing. Anyways, because of our cynicism, which is a part of us. It's a part here. I know it's in us, and I know it's in our city, and I know, I know that some of us deal with a cynical heart. But because of our cynicism, this particular song, Psalm 130, is so important for us today because it reaches right into the heart of some core issues that many of us have. That is, 
It's, it's written from the heart of the hopeful. It's written from the heart of the hopeful. It's written by a psalmist who hopes, and its very charge is hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. And it shines a light on the heart of the, heart of the cynic. And so what I hope this song in Psalm 130 uh, does for us today as we unpack it is I hope that we find that it's the antidote for the poison. I hope that we find that this song is an antidote for the poison. It gets to the heart of the matter. It's the cure because cynicism plagues us and we need the antidote. The good news, the antidote found in the psalm is this. It says it's, it's that Jesus is worth the risk and he's worth the vulnerability. Jesus is worth the risk and vulnerability because he's proven his power, he's proven his goodwill towards us, and we can take courage in placing our hope in him. Antidote. Jesus is worth the risk. He's worth the vulnerability. He's worth letting the lump go. He's worth the cry. And we can take courage in placing our hope in him. We're going to take a little closer look at at what I'm getting at there. Let's uh, look at Psalm 130. This is verse 1 through 4. It says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The first thing that I want us to, to recognize is that in these depths that the psalmist finds himself, at the beginning, the one, the depths that he's crying out from, he doesn't play the victim, right? This isn't just a cry of the oppressed. This isn't just a cry from somebody who's suffered undue pain or undue hardship. No, he cries out from the depths with the confession that he has, at least in some part, at the very least in some part, he's played a part in getting, uh, he, he's played his own part in getting into this place of anguish, He's he's played his own part in getting into these depths of despair. He's played his own part by his own sin and his own iniquity. Listen to what he says. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So he's pleading for mercy. And then he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness. So I can cry out to you because I put myself here. I know that. But if you marked them all, who could stand? I can call out to you. See, crying out from the depths. Talk about the cynic again for a minute. Crying out from the depths is difficult for the cynic who, while, while they may confess a belief in God with their mouth, they truly believe in their heart that nothing better will come if they're honest with themselves, right? Hoping and trusting makes us feel vulnerable and it makes us feel at risk and we don't like it. Cynics, I mean. Risk vulnerability that comes with hoping and trusting. We don't like it. We fight the lump in our throats that swells as we want to choke back those tears. Crying out from the depths from the depths is difficult for the cynic because we don't recognize the depths. We don't recognize that, that the depths are something that they that we are responsible for. We didn't put ourselves here. We may even like feel like things are bad. We may know that there is something wrong. We definitely know that there's something wrong. We feel like there's suffering. We feel like there's oppression, but we just cast blame on others for it. It's not our fault. If everybody would just be like me, then everything would work, but they're not going to, so there's no hope, right? But in reality, 
Our cynical, unbelieving, sinful hearts have dug us into a depth of despair that we don't even recognize. We think we're just in everybody else's pit. But we're in our own and we keep digging it. It's sad. And it's a place of hopelessness. Listen, the first thing we see in this passage is a cry from the depths for mercy coupled with a confession, right? It's a confession that our own belief got us into, unbelief got us into this place of anguish and pain. It's our own unbelief that put us here. And it's a confession of hope that believes rightly about God. We need to confess. I need to confess. We have to confess our unbelief and we have to confess the right things about who God is. We need to confess who God really is because there's a great hope found in who he really is. He's merciful and he forgives. And it's important that we note here, like at the end of that verse four, it's just important that we note what the psalmist says here at the end of the verse. He says, but with you there's forgiveness that you be, may be feared. And Brent spent some time on that a couple weeks ago, and I'd encourage you to go check it out the, online. I think it's Psalm 128. But maybe it sounds odd that God forgives us so that we would fear him, but as Brent talked about, uh, the fear is a reverence, right? The fear is reverence. This is a good news proclamation that God forgives us so that we would walk in reverence within, of him, right? So that we'd walk in reverence of him, that we would be able to follow his ways, which are best for us. He created us, after all, and he knows how we were made to live and what's most satisfying for us. And so his ways are greater than our ways. And so it's a good news proclamation that he not only forgives us, but that he forgives us that we may fear him, that we may be able to walk in his ways, that we may be able to trust and hope in him and him alone. What the psalmist so has essentially said is, I know that my sin and my unbelief has got me here down in the depths, but I believe, like I've seen some evidence, I've seen the evidence that God is for me, that he's not against me, and that he's all powerful, and that whatever he says he'll do, he'll do. I've seen evidence that he's faithful, and because of that, because it's true, I can put my hope in God. I can ask him for mercy. He forgives. He's merciful. I can cry out to him. I can put my hope in him. And with him, I love that at the end, we're going to get to it. With him, there's plentiful redemption. That's, no matter how deep the hole is, there's enough. The psalmist has found the antidote to the poison of cynicism, that God is worth the risk and vulnerability of crying out because he's proven his power and his goodwill toward us, and we can take courage in placing our hope in him. God's worth the risk and vulnerability of crying out, and we can take courage in placing our hope in him. It takes courage to place our hope in him, doesn't it? It takes courage to let the lump go, to unclench and lift your hands and worship God. It takes courage to look like a fool for him. But he's proved that the risk and vulnerability are worth it, and we can, we can put our hope in him. Let's move on into verse 5 and 6 of this song, because the psalmist here, he takes hope even further. He says this, I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. What does it mean? Like, what is he waiting for? Hasn't he already been delivered? Like, isn't, didn't he cry out to God, and God's faithful and just, and God's form, and all that stuff? Why, does he, why is he still waiting? Hasn't he been delivered? Isn't that the point of the thing? Like, if you could just muster up some sort of hopeful behavior, if you could get off the cynicism a little bit, or you can get off your hopelessness a little bit and put some hope in him, then everything will be better. He'll make everything better. Shouldn't the pain and suffering be over? Shouldn't we not have to feel any pain and suffering? Where's the mercy? Where's the deliverance? And so I'm just going to go back to Dave Ramsey and FPU. If you've taken the course, if you become a believer of the Dave Ramsey system and you followed the system and you had success, then you know that getting out of the depths you dug yourself into with your old habits takes time right? It, it takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes discipline. It could take years, depending on where you're at. But do you give up because of the waiting? No. Why? Why wouldn't you give up? Because you're able to live with a different end in mind, right? The, the heart has been changed. You have a different end in mind. You believe something different about how money works, and you believe that you're making it work different, even though not everything is done. And so you can still wait, and you can still, you can still keep going. There's a deliverance already in the sense that all your debts are cleared. And you don't have a million dollars in the bank, maybe, right? Uh, there, I'm sorry, there's a deliverance already not, not in the sense that your debts are cleared and you have a million dollars in the bank. But there is a deliverance in the sense that you're no longer enslaved to money. There's a, there's a deliverance from being enslaved to money, to serving money. And all of a sudden, you're able to dig, I mean, you're able to uh, have it begin to have it serve God and to have it serve you and to have it serve others. And so there's a deliverance that's already happening. So you wait and you walk along obedience in the same direction. Because you have a different belief, and you can see the light, and you can see the hope. So who God is and what God does is evidence in the forgiveness of sin, in the mercy, in the restored relationship with God. And because of God, you don't have to be enslaved to your sin. This is the kind of deliverance that we're talking about. This is why we can wait, because you don't have to be enslaved to your sin anymore. You don't have to keep digging a deeper hole and not even be aware of it. There's hope. Because God is who he says he is. And the psalmist says, and in his word, I hope. What he says, I can hope in. I can hope in. What he says he will do, he will do because he is who he says he is. And God does what he says he will do. And God will deliver on his promises. God will surely complete the work of redemption and restoration that he has promised. And so... The deliverance isn't just changed circumstances and lack of any suffering or lack of any consequences or the whole everything's done and you're taken out of the situation. The deliverance is that you're not enslaved to your sin, right? And my soul waits for the Lord because he's coming. And you've got to love the language of the watchman waiting for the morning. He says, my soul waits for the Lord. 
more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning, emphasizes it. I said earlier that the heart of the cynic is like a poison. And it hardens the heart as it becomes more and more on guard. Right? Cynic is like poison. It hardens the heart as it becomes more and more on guard because it's unable to risk any vulnerability. See, the heart of the cynic isn't waiting for morning to come. It doesn't really believe it will come, and there's no real end in sight to their being on guard. They have to stay on guard. Whereas the heart that finds its hope in who God is and what God does has strength and it has courage through the night because not only does it think that the morning's coming, it knows that the morning is coming because it knows who God is and it knows what God has done and so it knows what God is going to do. It's going to do whatever he said he was going to do. And so they know that morning is coming. The heart of the cynic doesn't know. And so it has to stay on guard. It doesn't ever see morning coming. And the heart of the hopeful knows that morning is coming. And so the watchman, think about this, the watchman who doesn't believe morning is coming will eventually fall asleep. The night just seems unending. The watchman who doesn't believe morning is coming will eventually fall asleep and the outside world will come in and devour him. But the watchman who knows that morning is coming stands guard all the way through until sun comes up, right? He waits, and he waits longer, and he waits longer, because without a doubt, the morning is coming. It's coming, so he stays awake until morning arrives. And the waiting of Psalm 130 is a waiting that's possible only because of the surety that the sun will rise, that the morning will come, that redemption is coming, that Jesus is coming, that God is doing a work of restoration and that it will be completed. It's a waiting and hoping, not just of something imagined and something dreamed of that we kind of wish for. It's not just a wish. It's not just a, a dream or something out of our imagination. But we know with certainty that it will come because the victory is his because he's proven that he is who he says he is and that he's done what he said he would do, and so he's proven that he will do what he said he will do. Redemption and restoration. Cynics like me that are in the room and hopeless, those who are hopeless in the room, I think we need to hear this. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again, and he proved that God is exactly what this psalm confesses him to be. What greater love has been demonstrated? In Christ, there's redemption for our sins, and in Christ, he's restoring all things. So the charge for the cynic and the charge for the hopeless in this psalm is hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. I want you to hear me. I want us to just get this. You need, and I need, we need the antidote. We need the cure for the poison that riddles our hearts. Jesus is that antidote. Jesus is worth the risk. He's worth the vulnerability. And he's proven his power through the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
and he's proven his goodwill through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we can take courage in placing our hope in him. We can get risky, we can get vulnerable, and we can place our hope in him. But you cry out, you have to cry out. That's the hard part. And so the thing I want from us this morning is that we would begin to cry out to Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for everybody exactly. It probably looks similar for for some of us, for most of us. But I know this, it starts with a confession of our unbelief. It starts with a confession of what we know to be true. It starts with a confession with taking the risk of vulnerability. Maybe for some of us, you just need to unclench a little bit. Maybe I need to unclench a little bit and like, Worship God freely. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe that's what it looks like for us to cry out, just to lift our hands and worship God. Yesterday we hosted a workshop here. Uh, There's about a dozen or so of us. Uh, We did a gospel fluency workshop, and we talked a lot about the lesser stories that we all chase, right? We talked about how we all believe the lies that there's some other story that either we write or that we allow somebody else to write for us, uh, or um, that, that will finally satisfy us, right? That there's some other story apart from the gospel that will finally satisfy us. And we try to write the story. We get others to write the story for us. Somehow we think that we're going to be better storytellers than the creator of story. And we all believe the lies of these stories, and we all put our hopes in ourselves, or we put our hopes in something other than Christ whether it be success, knowledge, security, uh, busyness. These are some that we talked about yesterday, consumerism, or a whole host of other things. We believe the lies. And we put our hopes in these other things, and they become our idols. Success becomes an idol. Knowledge becomes an idol. Security becomes an idol. Busyness, idol. Consumerism, idol. But everything you chase will send you further away from experiencing experiencing real hope that produces real joy, real satisfaction, and peace. This is what we talked about yesterday. Nothing offers the redemption and restoration that's found in Christ. And if you go back and look at it, every little success you get, once you get it, it's not enough and you need more, right? Once you fill up your calendar, you've got to fill up the next day. Once somebody recognizes you and gives you some, uh, some accolades or, or whatever, uh, um, you want more. It's only satisfying for a moment, and then it's gone, and then you need more of it. It's because we're digging a hole. It's not satisfying. It doesn't give us joy. It doesn't give us peace. It doesn't produce hope. We chase these things thinking that they will, and they never actually do, and they make us more miserable than ever, and we just keep not, we're just blind to it. Nothing offers the redemption and restoration that's found in Christ, so don't buy it. And the psalm, the charge is to hope in Christ, hope in Christ alone, hope in God, because in him there's plentiful redemption. And it starts with crying out. It starts with the confession of our unbelief. So if your hope, and I'll just, just a few of these, if your hope is in success, maybe you need to start crying out and confessing that your definition of success looks different than God's and that his definition is better. 
Maybe you need to remember and confess that Christ, that in Christ you're counted righteous. That you're a child of God and that in Christ the greater success of redemption and restoration is already won. And there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make it happen. It's already won. It doesn't rely on your success. So maybe you need to confess your unbelief and cry out for help from the Lord. If your hope is in knowledge and how much knowledge you can gain or how knowledgeable you can become, or you're just storing up as much knowledge as possible so that you can be the smartest uh, man or woman in the room, I, I don't know what the, you know necessarily the motivation. Uh, there could be some other reason, but maybe you need to hear and confess Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'd ask the question, is the fear of the Lord, the reverence for God is walking in his wisdom because he has made himself knowable in the person and work of Jesus and has invited you in to know him? Is that what's behind your quest for knowledge? Or is your quest for knowledge a quest to know God and know how he's been made known through Christ? Or is there unbelief behind your knowledge? Confess your unbelief and cry out for help from the Lord. Put your hope in him. Don't put your hope in your knowledge. Don't put your hope in success. If your hope is security, whether it's physical, emotional, or financial, maybe you need to confess, maybe you need to confess this morning that you're completely unable to protect yourself throughout eternity and that you're completely unable to make yourself secure and those that you love secure throughout eternity. You can't do it because you're going to die and they're all going to die. That's dark. I'm sorry. But you can't do it. Maybe you have to confess that I'm working, I'm putting all my hope in what kind of security I can provide, financially, physically, emotionally, but I can't actually provide it forever. There's nothing I can do that actually can make them secure. Maybe you need to ask if you've been trying to play the role of God. Confess your unbelief. Cry out to Jesus. He's worth the risk, security people. He's worth the risk. He's worth the vulnerability. We can go on and on and on and do this. But the question is, what do you need to confess this morning? The charge is to to put your hope in Christ. To do that, you've got to confess your unbelief and cry out to him for mercy and forgiveness. What do you need to confess? Where have you placed your hope? What poison is hardening your heart? The antidote is Jesus. Jesus is worth the risk. He's worth the vulnerability. He's proven that he's all-powerful. He's proven that he has goodwill towards you. He's proven himself faithful, and he will do what he says he will do. And so you can take courage in placing your hope in him. You can take courage in crying out and confessing to him because he's good, and he's forgiving. He's full of Mercy and love and forgiveness. So the hope this morning is that this song, as you go back over it, I hope, will speak to your heart. It will get up under the behavior modification and the trying to do better and and try harder and all that kind of stuff. We get up under the stuff and the disciplines that we just try to put in place to make ourselves better. And that we get to the heart of the matter and we allow this psalm the song to speak to our hearts and to change our hearts. The charge is 
Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. He's worth the risk. You can hope in him. So cry out and confess even now, even this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, again, I just thank you for this time together. Thank you for this day. We thank you that we can hope in you. We thank you that you're merciful, that you are loving, that you forgive us, that there's plentiful redemption in you, that you're gentle with us, that you hold us in your hands. That doesn't mean that you don't correct us and you don't discipline us, but it means we can trust you with our heart and with our life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Jesus made a way for me to be in right relationship with you, for us to be in right relationship with you so that we can cry out to you. Lord, we all need to confess, and I confess my unbelief, and I ask for you to help my unbelief. Lord, continue to work in our hearts. Continue to expose the areas of our life where we have trouble submitting to you and to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. Like expose those areas that we're even blind to, that we don't even know that we need to submit in. But be Lord of our life. May our hope be in you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're gonna move